0: Open your Bibles with me to John 15 again, and let's go after that one verse that we neglected intentionally in the service and sermon earlier this morning. John chapter 15. Jesus said to his eleven, as they walked along, in verse 12, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Then he explained what aspect of his love for them he wanted them to copy toward each other. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. And so we have verse 13 with the verse before it and the verse after it, and we want that 13th verse. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I will not be long, but I want you to think with me a little bit about this 13th verse to make sure we think of it in the right way when it applies to Jesus Christ dying for his friends, dying for us his friends greater love hath no man than this Jesus defined how they were to love each other as he had loved them from that 12th verse the apostles were not still completely clear about Jesus dying but they would soon be clear about it in just a few hours inside 24 hours the apostles would get the greatest demonstration of love ever made. Though not in the middle of a doctrinal lesson about his death, Jesus did describe it quite well here, that it was an act of love, and it was made for those he counted as friends in order to help them, save them, and deliver them from a death. He continued his transitions as he does through this chapter, as he then laid out the condition to truly be his friends. To truly be the friends of Jesus Christ is to keep his commandments as it's taught there in that uh, 14th verse. Love can be defined. Love can be defined, though a complete definition of love is beyond this sermon. It's been preached before as much as the Lord's shown us. Let's think about a few aspects of it. Love certainly forgives others' faults, Love certainly forgives others faults. When you go into 1 Corinthians 13 and read 4 through 7, that's the emphasis there. Is not thinking evil and not being easily provoked and enduring all things and believing all things and suffering long. It's all there. So love is forgiving others faults. It's also honoring them over yourself. And it is spending for their good. So when we look at love in the Bible, and especially the great example of love, he overlooks our faults. He's so merciful to us and long-suffering and patient. He honors us. We're to honor others. And we're told how to do that by making them and their things more important than us and our things. And he spends for their good. The Lord did for us. The highest standard of love is is selfless efforts to help another please God more perfectly. And the Lord Jesus Christ did that for us on the cross. As I read to you a few minutes ago from 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul had that spirit toward the Corinthians that he was willing to spend. See, love is spending. I didn't make that up. That's what the Bible teaches us. Love is spending. I am willing to spend and be spent. Meaning, there isn't any more left. I'm willing to spend and be spent, though the more I love you, the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved, is what he said. Earlier this morning as well, we looked at 1 John chapter 3, where we can perceive the love of God by him dying for us in the person of Jesus Christ, and we ought to love each other that way. We can perceive love. It's definable. It's visible. It's identifiable. In 1 John 4, we read, herein is love. So we're told of a specific example that by looking at it, we can see God's love toward us. And we read those verses earlier this morning. 1 John 3, 16 and 1 John 4, 10 through 11. So love can be defined, and the Bible defines it. And the definition of love in this context is the willingness to lose your life for another to gain life. To lose your life for another life to benefit. That's the, that's the point of emphasis. It's not some of the other things I've mentioned about love. I just want to tell you that based on reading the Bible, we are able to define love. But the definition of love here is what's in verse 13, that a man laid down his life for his friend. So you're willing to give up your life for the benefit of another life. And Jesus Christ did that. And he wants us to learn what he did for us. So that we can love others as he loved us. Love can also be measured. Notice the terminology here in verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this. If it's greater love. Greater is a comparative term. But if there's no other love to be compared to it, then it is the greatest greatest love. A superlative would work as well. And the words mean a superlative. Greater love hath no man than this. Single demonstration of love. So it's the greatest demonstration of love. It can be measured. You know, it's a false or weak idea of love to leave love nebulous and rather vague. Well, I think I love you. What in the world are you talking about? You think you love me. Is that some mental choice that you're not sure of and you're vacillating between two decisions? Or is your heart just not in the matter? Love's quantifiable. It's measurable because it results in actions. It results in deeds, as 1 John 3 and 4 tell us, and as Jesus Christ's love and God's love certainly resulted in deeds. What was the deed that proved God's love? The sending of his son and it being his pleasure to bruise him for us. What about the son's love for us? His willingness to go to the cross and to set his face to go to the cross and endure its shame and put up with all that happened leading up to it and while on it for us. That's identifiable. It's quantifiable. Since it's the greatest, it isn't comparable. It's called the unsearchable riches of Christ in the Bible. We can just sense how great it is. We can't plumb its depths, even though, by the power of the Holy Ghost, is there a word depth used regarding it? And Paul prayed that the Ephesians might know the depth along with the height and breadth and length of love. And we've been through that passage in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Love is not merely a feeling of pleasure or warmth. We tend to think, when we love something, we have a feeling of pleasure or warmth toward it. And often that can be lust. Because lust that we're in the process of getting satisfied or lust that we believe we're about to get satisfied can give you a warm feeling of pleasure because there are the pleasures of sin for a season. But the love of the Bible is a different thing. Jesus went through great agony in the Garden of Gethsemane when he saw the torture And pain and suffering, that was coming. He didn't stay in that agony because God sent an angel to strengthen him and he knew it was God's will and he had planned to do it his whole life. But instead, in spite of planning to do it his whole life, it was still a traumatic event. This is the man that wept at Lazarus' funeral. If you can call the event a funeral when the man's been... Buried for four days. We usually have it in a different order. But he wept because he showed us his human nature. Not a sinful nature, but a human nature. And so he wept with strong crying and tears in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. But he chose to go ahead and do it anyway. That is significant love. And that is what the Bible wants us to know. Here is us perceiving the love of God. It's reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And reading through the crucifixion account of our Lord Jesus Christ and knowing that he chose to die that way for us. He asked his Father, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there's more than that said about him in Isaiah 53 that he saw his seed. Now it's verse 11 that says, God shall see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied, but it is verse 10 that tells us, he shall see his seed. Who is the seed of Jesus Christ? You and I are the seed of Jesus Christ. He saw us, he loved us, he saw us, he loved us, he died for his friends. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending him. And thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Love is the sacrificial effort to benefit another person, with the ultimate effort being death. A sacrificial life can also be offered by denying oneself to benefit another soul. The Apostle Paul did that. The Apostle Paul eventually died, and he did die and came back to life once, but he gave his life for the churches. And we're supposed to lay down our lives for each other. In our particular circumstances, we don't have to die physically yet for one another. There may be a time where I'm hiding at your house and you're caught hiding me. You may have to die. I'm just, we don't have anything like that. That's why we thank God for America in 2018, because we have so much peace and we're not faced with any situations like that whatsoever. But we can also lay down our lives by daily service, because you could be using that time somewhere else. You could be using the emotion somewhere else. You could be using the money somewhere else. You could be maintaining your personal private little schedule for how you like to be structured and scheduled, but instead you throw everything up in the air and say, forget it, I want to go help this person. Mm-hmm. And so we can, you can lay down your life that way as well, and that's the way that we get to lay it down for each other. You know, the apostle warned about loving in word. Loving in word. Yeah, I love you. I love the brethren. Let's not love in word, but in truth and in deed. Right. Because the words are not really meaningful. Because words about love don't convey love. We just don't have a book about telling us that God loves us and it's some concept in God of how he loves us. He sent his son to die for us. It's a very real transaction that cost him. And we, our love is the same. Greater love hath no man than this. Jesus defined how they were to love each other the way he was going to love them Love can be defined, and love can be measured. And it is this specific aspect of our Lord's love, his sacrificial laying down of his life, that they were supposed to show one another. So we have the second half of the verse. What is a greater love that no man hath than this? What is the singular demonstration of love that no man can match, that a man lay down his life for his friends? Here's the measure of the greatest love giving all you have for another person, your life. We can give our lives a living sacrifice back to God. It doesn't mean we die, we just die to self. We give up on the ambitions that we might have had for our lives, our profession, our pleasure, our peace, our quiet, our amount of sleep, saving our money, whatever, we give it up. And so we give our lives a living sacrifice to serve others, to serve God first and to serve others. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Thus, if this is the measure of the greatest love, laying down your life for your friends, losing your life for a cause or person is stated as the ultimate sacrifice. We we use the word sometimes in America as he made the ultimate sacrifice. He paid the ultimate price. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus paid the ultimate price. Don't deceive yourself. No one ever else ever has. It's very different, and that's the that's the real point I want to give us as we come to the Lord's table. We will use those words, but we should be careful in those words because it really wasn't the ultimate sacrifice because they really didn't sacrifice their lives. Their life was ripped from them, and that's not a sacrifice. More on that in just a moment. Satan presumed very well when reasoning with God that a man will give up anything for his skin or for his life. Skin for skin, the devil said, you know, the devil knows us too well. Skin for skin, a man will give anything for his life. And the Lord had confidence in Job and said, Go ahead, tear his body apart. Don't take his life, but tear all that skin apart. Where did the boils start? The crown of his head. Where did the boils end? The soles of his feet. Satan went after every square inch of ground every square inch of skin to see if he could get Job to curse God and Job wouldn't. Did Jesus Christ have the crown of his head abused by the Romans? The soles of his feet and in between? Mm -hmm. Who survived best? The Lord lost his life in the matter. Job only lasted a chapter because I'm reading to you from the first few verses of chapter 2, and by the end of chapter 2, it's all over for Job. And so for the next 28 chapters, we have to read about him whining and complaining about his situation in life, and I'm not making fun of Job. I'm just saying, compared to Jesus, compared to Jesus Christ, he's a loser. Now the Lord had mercy on him and forgave him through Elihu and through his own exhortation of him. Remember the definition of love, giving up your comfort for the benefit of another. Dying for a person is the highest measure of the highest definition. Dying for another person is the highest measure of the highest definition of love. It's glorious indeed. But it's important for us to consider more closely the giving of one's life for another so that we're correct. Laying down your life for another person Is an incredible gesture, but let's analyze it carefully. A mother. A mother may die in childbirth. Mothers have died in childbirth, but she did not give her life for a child. It was taken. She never intended to die when she conceived, she never intended to die when she went into labor. And she did everything in her power to not die for the joy that she was personally going to have for bringing in a son into the world. And we're going to be taught that in John 16, verse 21. But when someone might say, by hearing about a story or the circumstances of a woman dying in childbirth, she didn't lay down her life for her child, She never planned it, she never thought about it, she never gave it, it was ripped from her. She would have used any means at her disposal to have kept her life. Let's just keep that in mind when we think about the Lord Jesus Christ. A soldier. And the last thing I want to do is speak disparagingly of anyone with a medal of honor. or a posthumous medal of honor or any award like that in our military. However, a soldier may die in combat and many might say he laid down his life for his nation. I can tell you that when he died, his nation was not on his mind. Dying was on his mind and seeing if he could get the guy across from him to die first because that's what combat is about they lose all concept of a nation and they fight for their brothers next to them a whole lot more military psychology has figured that out that those men will die for their buddies they'll die for their squad they'll die for their platoon a whole lot faster than some nebulous concept of nation of a nation because in combat in conflict when you're stressed you're not thinking about my nation is better than their nation, you're thinking, I've got to live by killing that other person from the other side, from the other nation. Follow with me. A soldier may die in combat, and many might say he laid down his life for his nation, but he never intended to die at any point. When he signed up, he wasn't planning on dying. When he shipped overseas and didn't go AWOL, he wasn't planning on dying. When he was told to enter even a fierce firefight or to jump into the the, the English Channel and attack the well-enforced beaches of Normandy, he wasn't planning on dying. He was planning on helping some of Hitler's boys die. And he did all he could to prevent his dying. While we truly appreciate every Medal of Honor winner, let us exalt our Lord because he's the captain of our salvation and died very differently from these examples. Right. In these dear examples, neither the mother nor the soldier intended to actually die. They both intended to survive, and they used all means at their disposal to survive. They had their lives taken from them against their wills by powerful outside forces, entirely different from the way Jesus Christ died. The closest they got to sacrificial love was to die in order to keep another from dying. Remember it, but they didn't do it intentionally. Right. They did it because it was forced on them. Our military has an expression called broken arrow that when a group of troops is being overrun, And they say, Broken Arrow, any troops, any planes in the sky, any planes able to be in the sky immediately are to come to their rescue. And soldiers, when they're under duress and believing that they're going to be overrun, they don't say, I don't need Broken Arrow. They get the nearest radio and call Broken Arrow. And the response is fantastic in our military and some of you know of a particular little scene that I'm referring to and it's a pleasure to watch it but the point is this they call broken arrow mm-hmm. if they don't call broken arrow then they use every other arrow that they have at their disposal to defend themselves Jesus didn't call broken arrow and he had broken arrow one nanosecond away right. Right. if he would have said broken arrow in one nanosecond, this earth would have been split in half and he would have been delivered from the Romans and the Jews and they would all experience genocide. He didn't. And Chia, I'm glad you're here. We're going to sing your favorite song shortly. And that's what I'm talking about right now. He didn't call broken arrow. He went to the cross for us and he died alone for you and me. True love is the conscious. True love is the conscious and conscientious sacrificial gift of one's life for another. It involves the willingness to lose one's own life, liberty, and happiness for another. It makes no effort to survive, and it sees only the very highest good for its object. And that is how our Lord died. That is how the captain of our salvation went to his death. Jesus did exactly what is described here sacrificially in the fullest sense of the words. His death was not a surprise, as in most every other case you might well imagine. You can imagine someone dying for another person. It was a surprise event to them. In almost every example you can think of, no fireman enters a burning building planning on laying down his life for anyone in it. He enters a burning building with the training and the confidence and the instinctive reaction to go get every person out of there that he can. He's not planning on dying. He's planning on using his life of training to help others live. Different from the Lord Jesus Christ. His life was not taken from him against his will. He laid it down willingly. I have the power to lay my life down and I have the power to take it up again when the Romans came around to check these three objects of crucifixion, they were surprised Jesus was dead because he shouldn't have been dead yet. The two thieves were alive. They had to hasten the event on because crucifixion, the way described, does not end death immediately. Jesus was already dead because he laid down his life. Father, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. He made the choice to go off the high dive without him being pulled off the high dive. He went off the high dive into the everlasting arms of God his Father by commending his spirit into his hands consciously and conscientiously because he saw his seed. I love the men that serve our nation. And I love the men that take the risk of dying. But they don't lay down their life in the same way that Jesus laid his life down for us. He knew his entire life that he would die for his people, and he pursued it firmly. He knew he could stop the pain or outcome at any point. He told Peter in Matthew 26 and verse 53, Don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels? 72,000 angels. What would 72,000 do to Judea? And you know how I've tried to describe it, with them with their hands on their swords, ready to deliver him because he was the darling son of God and they were created to be his servants. And when he was born in this world, God ordered the angelic host of heaven worship him. That's why they opened the skies over Judea. He saw the pleasure of the Lord and the success of his seed and he did his living later by laying down his life for the sheep. You know, the Bible says here that Jesus died for his friends. But we know the truth of the matter theologically, which was not the Lord's point. The Lord's point was comfort here. Listen, guys, I'm going to die for you like my friends. And you're my friends if you keep my commandments. And I've treated you like friends. I've told you everything the Father's told me. And if you'll pray in my name, the Father's going to give you anything because you're my friends. And I picked you to be my friends. You didn't pick me to be your friend. All that's taught here, but we know from Romans chapter 5 that he died for his enemies. That is the gospel, and that is what we celebrate at the Lord's table. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.